Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. I speak to you in the name of the one living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Today's homily is based upon Psalm 80, the psalm that we heard sung beautifully by the choir a minute ago. Now, I fully recognize the impact of such an announcement. It means there are people out there right now, even as I speak, who are thinking, Jiminy Cricket, he could have given me a heads up, then I would have paid attention to the song. I feel your pain. I sat in those pews in an Episcopal church for 35 years, and I have to admit that maybe on occasion I took uh, the psalm as a time for a, a mental break. So to make sure we're all on the same sheet of paper, I'm going to read the psalm one more time, and you can listen or follow along in your bulletin. Psalm 80. Hear, O shepherd of Israel, leading Joseph like a flock. Shine forth, you that are enthroned upon the cherubim. In the presence of Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh, stir up your strength and come to help us. Restore us, O God of hosts. Show the light of your countenance, and we shall be saved. O Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angered despite the prayers of your people? You have fed them with bread of tears. You have given them bowls of tears to drink. You have made us the derision of our neighbors, and our enemies laugh us to scorn. Restore us, O God of hosts. Show the light of your countenance, and we shall be saved. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, the son of man who you have made so strong for yourself. And so... Will we never turn away from you? Give us life that we may call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Show us, show the light of your countenance, and we shall be saved. Psalm 80 
is one of the group of psalms that is known as a lament. Now, the laments have a, a number of elements that go into them, but there, there are four primary elements that I want to review with us this morning. The first requirement, the first element of, an, of a, a lament is an address, an address to God, invoking God's name, in other words. The second element is complaint. The psalmist complains about a situation, a setting, something going wrong. And, and as a part of that complaint, often there is an element of, of saying that, God, you, you haven't done anything about this. The third element is a petition, a request, a request that God address the subject of the complaint, make whatever is wrong right again. And the final element, the fourth, is a promise. A promise by the psalmist in the future that the psalmist will worship and praise God. Now we find all four of those elements in Psalm 80. The address, as is typical, is, begins in the first verse. Look at the first five words. Hear, O shepherd of Israel. Hear, O shepherd of Israel. This address, I think, is significant because it's not only saying, I'm talking to you, God. It, it conjures up, doesn't it, a particular image of God, an image of tenderness. With the analogy to a shepherd, it's, this tenderness is invoked because everybody in that day and age knew how shepherds treated their flock with love, with tenderness, with care. And so the psalmist begins right off by saying, this is a God of love and tenderness to which we pray. And then in the second verse, continuing the address, the psalmist says, stir up your strength. And so in these first two verses, we have this image, a God that is loving, a God that is tender, and yet also a God who is mighty, is powerful. Then comes the complaint. We find the complaint in verses 3, 4, and 5. The psalmist says, you're angry. How long are you going to be angry despite our prayers? We've been fed bread of tears, bowls full of tears. And finally, the complaint. You have made us the derision of our neighbors. Our enemies laugh at us. Laugh us to scorn. And then the petition. Now the petition in Psalm 80 is interesting in the sense that it is found in the refrain. And we read this same refrain three times in verses 3, 7, and 18. This is the petition. Restore us, O God of hosts. Show the light of your countenance and we shall be saved. Save us from this derision. Save us from this scorn. Turn back to us. And then finally, the promise. The promise is found in verse 17. And so will we never turn away from you. We will always love you. We will always praise you. We will always worship you. Now, it's significant, I think, to, to know the setting 
of Psalm 80. First of all, notice that if, if, you, if you think back to the Psalms, particularly the laments that I know you all have memorized, the laments so often are an individual talking about his or her dire circumstances. But that's not the case here. The psalmist is obviously talking about a group of people. And so this is what's known as a communal lament. The psalmist is, is lamenting on behalf of an entire community. Now, this particular community is the northern kingdom of Israel. Think back with me, and you may recall that in ancient Israel, there were two divisions, if you will, two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which was geographically larger, and then the southern kingdom, where Jerusalem is located. We know this because of the address to the invocation of the tribes of Benjamin and Ephraim and Manasseh. Those are all northern kingdom tribes. So we know this is on behalf of the northern kingdom. Now, the next thing I'm about to say is not a matter of absolute historical certainty, but biblical scholars are in agreement that this is almost certainly the case, that, that this psalm was was composed, remember all the psalms were originally meant to be sung, this psalm was composed probably in the latter part of the 8th century B.C. Because that's when the the northern kingdom was under great pressure by the Assyrian nation. They were being persecuted by the Assyrians. And in fact, the Assyrians overran, invaded and overran the northern kingdom in 721 B.C. and absolutely obliterated the northern kingdom. There was no northern kingdom, for example, in Jesus' day. All right, so, so now you and I, we all know something about laments in general. We know something about this specific lament in particular. So what? So what does this lament have to do for you and me in 2022? That's one question. And the second question is, why is this lament included in our Advent 4 readings? Well, to get to that question, I want to tell you my two hopes My two hopes for everybody in this room today. My first hope is that everybody in this room is happy in the sense that nobody has any profound unhappiness, any type of mental or emotional or or spiritual pain. My second hope is that 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 condition, that lack of unhappiness, rests with every one of us for the remainder of our lives, that from now on, we will never know that profound unhappiness from emotional, spiritual pain. Yet even as I speak these hopes, I know that neither are possible. I know, for example, that there are people in this room right now who are profoundly unhappy, who are suffering from some pain, some spiritual, some emotional pain. Now, I don't know that because I know all of your deepest, deepest thoughts and deepest feelings. I know that, if you will, as a matter of statistics, 
You see, the human condition is such that we all experience this deep emotional, spiritual pain from time to time in our lives. It's a part of life. And so it is frankly impossible with the number of people in this room right now that there's not somebody or somebodies who are in pain. And we all know, don't we, that this, this spiritual, this, this emotional pain can arise from so many directions. It could be grief over the loss of a, a loved one. It could be, it could be concern over trials and tribulations of a child. It could be financial issues. And the list is absolutely endless. But we all know that probably all of us have had some form of that pain in the future. We may be experiencing it now. And we almost certainly will have a period of time like that in the future. I've been through that. I'm no different than anybody else. Now, all this is important to understand why Psalm 80 and the other laments are important to us today. The first reason is this. The fact that there is this lament, the fact that there are the other laments in the Psalms, tells us that when we go through these painful times, these unhappy times, we are not alone As I say, I've been through this. And I know, like you know, that when we experience this this pain of unhappiness, instinctively we feel like it's just us. There's nobody else. Only we are suffering like this. Well, this psalm, the fact that this psalm goes back 2,700 years, reminds us that this is part of the human condition. And when we do suffer, We are never alone. And that's particularly important to understand in our our culture, our contemporary culture. I don't know if this is is a good thing or a bad thing, but I know it's a true thing that, that our culture is such that we've developed this attitude that if we are in pain, if we are uncomfortable, if we have things going wrong in our lives, we keep a stiff upper lip. We don't let anybody else know. But remember, when we go through this, there are those people we bump into who suffer just like we do. And by the way, it also reminds us that we would do well to practice forgiveness quickly for those who insult us or otherwise hurt us. Because we never know, we never know what pain that person may be suffering that could be the cause for what we see as inappropriate behavior. And so the psalm is important. One point, because it tells us we are not alone. The psalm is also important because it gives us permission. One of the most significant things about this lament and all the laments is the psalmist is unafraid to criticize God, to to question God, to be angry with God, all the while, we've already noticed this, all the while recognizing God's power, recognizing God's love, and trusting that God will respond. But nevertheless, the psalmist today, metaphorically, is shaking the fist at God, right? Now, again, it is the natural response to deep unhappiness for you and I to, to 
to have this, um, this desire to do just that, to raise our fist at God. But we seem to think, no, we can't do that. That would be irreverent. That would be unfaithful. That would be unchristian. Well, in every lament, and this is a great example, that's exactly what the psalmist does. Raises the fist at God and says, why? How do you let this go on? This gives us permission to do that. And if you want a contemporary example, I'll give you one. Mother Teresa. I did pretty good with that example, didn't I? Mother Teresa once wrote that in one of her times of, of unhappiness, of pain, she looked up and screamed out at God, if this is how you treat your friends, there's no wonder you have so few of them. Now, let's face it. If it's okay for the psalmist to do this, if it's okay for Mother Teresa to do that, to get angry and express anger at God, well, it's okay for Randy to do that. It's okay for us to do that. In fact, I'll go a step further. Not only is it okay, I will tell you it is a good thing. It's a good thing for several reasons. First of all, Mother Teresa again, she said that after, after screaming at God, she felt better for it. She did. And it's true that, that, that expressing anger under these circumstances is, is kind of a cathartic event. And it makes us feel better. There's no reason not to, folks. We need to remember, God is big enough to deal with our anger. But more importantly, more importantly still, and please hear this. Please. God would rather that we communicate with God in anger than not communicate at all. God would rather that we communicate in anger than not communicate at all. So this is why the psalm is relevant to us 27 years after, after it was composed. It, it, it reminds us we are not alone. It gives us permission. All right then, Randy, preacher man, why are we reading this psalm on Advent 4? Well, Advent is the time, of course, that we prepare to celebrate the incarnation of God in the form of Jesus. Think about that for a minute now. Sometimes we let those words roll off of our tongue without thinking about what is happening. God becomes human. God took on human flesh in order, in order to be able to walk among us, in order to communicate to us. And, and this is why we read it in Advent, in order to make it absolutely clear that God not only hears our lament, hears of our pain, God feels our pain because God has experienced those same pains. And so today, hearing this lament on the fourth Sunday of Advent, we have what I think is not good news, it's great news. 
God knows of our pain. God hears of our pain. God feels our pain. And God responds with Christmas, with the incarnation of God in the form of Jesus. Wow. Amen.